Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello. Um, Richard asked me to record this time somewhere that's not too loud with the traffic. Um, <laughs> you can probably tell from the sound effects I have not succeeded. I've sat on the green opposite our house. Uh, I'm not on my own. Ray's here. Ray, do you want to say hi? Hi. <laughs> um, and uh, just back from picking up some bits for our supper for tonight. We're going to... Oh, what was that, Ray? Your phone. I'm going to try... Sorry, he dropped his phone. We're going to try and make a chorizo and squid thing that we found in the recipe book. And I've got some nice new wrapping paper because we were running a bit low. And tomorrow I'm going to see my sister and her boyfriend and it's his birthday. So I picked up some wine and chocolates for him. So it's one of those kind of Saturdays, pretty mosey. I like these sorts of Saturdays. It's been a really busy week, quite eclectic. For example, on Thursday morning, I took Ray uh, around a school because he's about to start secondary, so we're looking at our options. Then in the afternoon, I flew to Portugal with Richard. Then we DJed until one in the morning in Portugal. Got up the next day, swam in the sea, flew back to London, got in the car, went straight to Cheltenham Literary Festival where there was an event last night for our cookbook. So that was quite a crazy... Um, 36 hours. Oh, it's getting windy now. Rich is going to kill me. Uh, I am absolutely thrilled. Oh, hello. Nice little doggy. Dog's come to say hello. Um, I am really, really, really excited about this week's episode. Oh, bye, doggy. Uh, because, you know, I've been very lucky. I've recorded with lots of amazing people. But every once in a while, you also meet someone who's like got that... She's like a little bit magic because this week's guest is Mary Berry. And I, I met her, I met her three times now. So I met her once when she was on Strictly. She popped out of a cake during a dance routine. I said hello to her there while I was on it, that is. And then we met again when she was filming her TV show. It's on BBC iPlayer. It's called Cook and Share. And she came to Wilderness Festival where Richard made us both a margarita. Oh, the wind's picking up. I'm sorry, Richard. And then, oh, listen to the leaves and the tree. Is that quite nice? Hopefully that's quite soothing in your ears. And then we met again when I went around to her house. I went to Henley to see her. And lo and behold, she baked flipping cake. Of course, salted caramel, completely delicious. So good, in fact, was that good, Ray? So good, in fact, that um, producer Claire and I both independently made our own salted caramel cake. Ray, did you just wipe your hands on my jeans while I'm talking? And I said sorry. <laughs> and... Um, Anyway, with Mary, there was a lot I wanted to talk to her about, but also some of it I was, you know, respectful. She might not want to speak about. I'm talking about the fact that she tragically had one of her sons, one of her children die when he was only 19, her son William. But she was very open about everything. And it's fascinating to speak to someone who is now 87 years old. And yeah, and she still has a lot of the, uh, the things that still bother modern working parents now, the guilt... Uh, the judgment, obviously way more for her when she was uh, first starting her career and working all through her babies. She had three kids. But still, a lot of it was, you know, a lot more relevant to now than, I don't know, maybe you would expect. But she was wonderfully open, incredibly wise, very, very kind. One of those people who just looks on lots of the positives. Very uh, clear with her thinking. And, I mean, you're going to, you, I think you're going to love this conversation. And as we were talking, yes, we had tea from a proper china cup and saucer, salted caramel cake in front of us. What could be better? So I will leave you in the soothing, comforting and wise words of Mary Berry and I'll see you on the other side. Oh, 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 before I go, I just remember something I think you'll need to know, actually. So during the chat, uh, so I'm I'm there with Mary, but there's also uh, Claire Jones, producer, of course, and also Lucy Young. Now, Lucy is Mary's right-hand woman really and the reason I wanted to let you know about her is not only to say thank you to her because I don't think the podcast recording would happen without her but also because Mary talks about Lucy they've worked together for 32 years they first met when Lucy was coming on board to help uh, with with putting together a cookbook which is an Arbor cookbook but she now 
it's sort of Mary's right-hand woman for everything, really. Uh, helps with all aspects of her life. Oh my goodness, raise up a tree. I'll take a picture of you in a second. And she's completely lovely. Yes, I will. And uh, yeah, I wanted you to know who she was because we, we speak about Lucy. They've obviously got just the most incredible relationship. Really, really close. And actually, uh, I mean, I knew Mary was a lovely person anyway, but she's also one of those people who's got around her a team of people, mostly women. Uh, in fact, oh God, it's getting really windy. If not all women, who've all worked with her for a very, very long time which is always the mark of someone really great, isn't it? Anyway, I just thought you should know that. It's getting really windy. Rich is going to kill me. I'll see you in a bit. Enjoy. Well, thank you so much for having me over to your house today, Mary. And I think the fact that we're sat here with um, cups of tea in proper china with a saucer and cup and cake is exactly how everybody pictures us recording this podcast so <laughs> it's ideal uh, well it's salted caramel cake you know I'm not really into to salt in cakes and things mm -hmm. but it's funny how things you suddenly think well it is rather nice I think it's delicious I love a bit of salted caramel this is very lovely and tea is always the way to my heart, so oh, I'm a very happy person at the moment um, I don't know how you manage because I know you have five boys I just think uh, I had two, and uh, I was fairly frantic with two. Mm. And uh, as a busy mum, and you've got five, but I suppose they all look after each other. Um, sometimes. <laughs> I sometimes realise that the less I interfere, the better it is. So when I'm out the room and I let them get on with stuff, they actually kind of sort themselves out. Whereas if I'm there, sometimes they're vying for attention and actually I can kind of be adding to it. But actually, as I was leaving to come and see you today... My youngest, Mickey, who's three, said to me, are you working today, Mummy? Because he's just coming into that bit where he's just starting to understand that I work and he asks questions now. And I said, yes, I am. And he just burst into floods of tears. I was like, this is such an apt scene for someone who's about to record a podcast about being a working mum. <laughs> it was really, really but uh, you, perfect. I remember your mother, Janet, mm. um, because um, Blue Peter was something that when my children were young... We always watched Blue Peter. They um, they loved the uh, dog. Uh, was it called Shep or Sh Shep? Yep, there was a Shep. Uh, there was a Shep. And, you know, they would sit down. As I, as a child, used to uh, listen to Children's Hour at five o'clock. Uh, and now, uh, then my own children were uh, watching uh, your mum. And I, and I believe your mum, who told me when I met you at Wilderness, that she lives very near you. She does. She lives so she'll be doing her away. Blue Peter stuff. And one of my most treasured possessions oh. is the gold Blue Peter bag. You've got a gold one. A gold one, yeah. That's very impressive. Um, so that's um, very... What do you get a gold one for? It, I think it was for, uh, you know, I teach... I always think of when I'm cooking, I'm teaching. Mm. And so um, I think it's because I encourage uh, mums or dads uh, to cook with their children mm. and bake with their children. And, and uh, oh, wow, anyway, there it is. I was very honoured to have it. And it you is know what, I've never actually held one before. beautifully designed, isn't it lovely? It's gorgeous. And actually this is the sort of... Um, the cherry on top for the, for the, uh, the you know, the, the Blue Peter badges. I've got... Um, I've got some of the standard ones. One I got by myself for going on the programme, but for this, the others I used to steal from my mum because she used to bring them home when she filmed. Um, and then I also got a, one that's blue with a silver ship on it, which is what you get if you go on the programme on two occasions, but for two different reasons. So that's my... It's not as good as a gold I shall one, put but... mine safely back in yes, it. Yes, do, because I have been known to sell them. To so. it. And I, I know that there are... Uh, aren't so many of them about. There really aren't, and I genuinely did used to sell them. I used to sell them in the playground when I was small, so you're wise to put it back in the box. <laughs> I can't be trusted, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I've, I've sort of shown it to my grandchildren when uh, when they were young. Yeah, no, that's lovely. That's lovely. I'm really glad you showed me, actually. I, as I said, I've never actually seen one in real life, and I know my mum would quite like one. <laughs> so maybe we can see what we can do about that, but... We met really recently, as you said, at Wilderness Festival. Did oh, I enjoy Wilderness? Because I've only been to one other um, festival. And this one was 
uh, I remember driving in. It was so beautiful, mm. and it was so well run, and everybody uh, was happy to be there, weren't they? And there was no litter. There was um, you were there was a beautiful lake, and you were allowed to swim in the lake. Mm. And there were even lifeguards there. <laughs> I mean, what a day out for uh, a family. Uh, so much to do. Uh, and I think on the Sunday they were playing cricket, or all yeah. sorts of things. I think that someone mentioned it was naked cricket, but I'm not sure if that's true. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that doesn't change your view of the But I mean, it's very much emphasis on food. You could yeah. go there and have... Um, a dinner uh, cooked by well-known chefs, mm. uh, and you you could do a twelve, or you could do a much bigger event. And I had tastes of them all, and it was uh, uh, it was absolutely amazing. And also there was fashion. Um, I mean, people dressed up. Yeah, uh, I, I know my own daughter had a sort of. Uh, uh, extraordinary outfit and was totally happy in turbans and things <laughs> uh, people just wore what they liked they did have themes but not everybody you looked in the dressing up box and wore whatever you exactly felt it. at home but the whole atmosphere was absolutely lovely um and of course there was music and i could hear you singing and then, <laughs> then we actually met uh, yeah um yeah, and uh, i what i remember i i i, I thought she's so young to have five children and your little short skirt. I, you know, I thought, how does she look so calm and so lovely when what she's left at home are five children, five wow. boys? What the key there in that sentence is at home. <laughs> That's how I was so calm. But we ate a delicious risotto and my husband Richard made us margaritas. Um, he did indeed. Yes. And was it strong? Yes, I just had that. a little sip and I wouldn't have been able to continue. <laughs> it, but, but yeah. No, it was absolutely lovely. Yeah, it was good. And we had a very brief chat about about working mothers, really, because I don't really think there's many people who are as good an example of a work ethic as you. And I just wondered where, at the moment, what's going on in your life at the moment? What projects have you got? And when I arrived here today, there was lots of activity in your house for new cookbooks and the TV show. And um, I like to think that our recipes are um, just what people want. Um, I like to think that I'm there holding their hand while they're looking at the recipe. I'm there. I hope every detail is in that recipe, where it might go wrong, saying, you know, watch out, it might curdle. If it does, um, just uh, give it a good beat and it'll be all right. Um, and we, we do test them until they absolutely are perfect. Um, and uh, we've, you, the recipes we did at Wilderness um, were in the book Cook and Share. Mm -hmm. And uh, the advantage of having a book is that on my book, um, every single re recipe, there's a picture. So you sort of, maybe they've watched the programme uh, on Wilderness and they see some of the cooking. Then they look in the book and it reminds them what the recipe is yeah. and uh, they think if they want to make uh, the salted caramel cake there's a picture of it there that well that'll help me yeah um, uh, because uh, I, I personally like a, a book it's I don't like it on a Kindle because you can't see the picture um, and it's just a backup to the television series yeah and also with a book as opposed to a Kindle or anything, I like it when you get the pages a bit sticky with the food because you've been cooking and it becomes one of those really well, large cookbooks. Look at, look at that book, there's all sorts of stickers there. <laughs> I always encourage people, if they don't actually physically want to um, write in the book, if you get one of those sticky label things and you put, uh, I made it in Granny's dish, it overflowed, next time choose a deeper oh, yeah. dish or something, it, it reminds you because, uh, and also when I've got a dish, you know, a particular lasagna dish, um, uh, and in the book I've said, do it in a dish, say, uh, 12, uh, a particular size, mm. um, I then um, go to my own dish, and it doesn't exactly fit, but I write on the bottom the measurement, mm. so that next time I pick it up, I know and I don't have to go and find the tape measure. Yeah, yeah. I do it with, a, you know, a, a marker pen. And you don't actually even have a number, Nadia, in your head of how many cookbooks you've 
done? Uh, well, uh, people are always saying that I've done an awful lot, but <laughs> many of them are uh, start off as a big book, mm-hmm. and then the publishers will redo them in uh, cakes or puds, and it's come out of a big volume. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and some of them are little tiny books, but we d- we do Lucy and I do a book a year with a television series, so. It's plenty of time mm-hmm. to find uh, recipes that people are, uh, want at that, uh, at that time because our times have changed. I mean, we're being <coughs> pretty frugal now because um, times are hard. Mm, mm. And um, so we'll be giving, uh, maybe in casseroles, putting a few more vegetables in because vegetables versus meat uh, is much uh, cheap, cheaper. We'll be trying to use, make less waste. Yeah, yeah, so you've been um, conscious of how people are actually I living. I always say, you know, open your fridge door before you start and see what's there. Can we use it up? Yeah. Um, and will it improve the recipe? And you know, we don't want to be throwing away bread. People throw away bread that gets to the ends. Just You could easily make it into uh, breadcrumbs. Yes. Uh, or make bread and butter pudding or something. It's. Uh, I think we've got to train ourselves n- not to have waste. No, that's actually a really good point, and I, I promise from you can. I'm looking. I will not throw away the ends of my breads anymore because actually you're right. That's that's a real opportunity. And you mentioned Lucy there. So who is Lucy to you? Um, People who I don't sometimes know. now refer to Lucy as the boss because she bullies me. <laughs> Uh, you know, the phone will uh, will get an email saying, "Will you come down to Cornwall and judge our um, cake competition, or whatever, or um, we're having a produce stall, or, or whatever it is, a bit of judging?" Mm. And I say, "Oh, that would be nice." And Lucy says, "You you can't go all that <laughs> that way. Um, you know, uh, 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 well, we sort of." I said, "Well, I could be on holiday at that time, or whatever." And so, she, <laughs> so Lucy's she like keeps your right woman. She yes, well, she's been with me. It must be something like thirty-two years, and that's a long time. Yes, and um, she, we think alike. It's very strange if we're actually <laughs> um, wanting. I mean, uh, next uh, weekend is Harvest Festival, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I sort of say to Lucy, "I've got to take a dish. What would you take?" And I think, well, I hope she says uh, a vegetarian lasagna, and she will say. Why don't you do that vegetarian lasagna that you love with all those lovely roasted vegetables? And, mm. Because um, it's something that I can do very easily mm-hmm. and everybody seems to enjoy. When you were talking about um, Lucy being the boss and you said that if you get the opportunity to go and judge cakes in Cornwall, you, your tendency is to think yes. Where, where is that passion coming from? Because this is, after so much you've achieved, you think you might be thinking, well, maybe I'll take it a bit easier. But it seems like there's so much energy with what I'm you do. Always, I'm always... I think, well, isn't that nice of them to ask me, sort <laughs> of thing. And also, when you get there, they're so appreciative. Yeah. And um, uh, I was doing um, a charity. Uh, uh, I'm president of the National Garden Scheme. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the profits from the National Garden Scheme um, go to... Um, uh, nursing charities, you know, like Macmillan and hospices and things. And they had an auction and they said, would I do uh, a tea at uh, Claridge's um, that people could uh, buy? Uh, and so they had an auction for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody, a, a group of five, played, uh, uh, I think it was £5,000, and that was yesterday. <laughs> And, um, you know, I thought, oh, it's a long... You know, I'll go up to London and that'd be lovely. Uh, and the, uh, I was driven there, which is, to me, a great luxury. So I just had to arrive and I made quite sure I was smart so that, that you know, they felt I was making an effort. And um, they were absolutely lovely. And, uh, you know, they had read my books and did my recipes and so forth. And uh, it was getting near to five o'clock. That was just the time for me uh, that I'd be going home. And I said to the... um, uh, that I was going to be picked up and wasn't I really lucky to be driven home. It makes it a real day out for me. And I said to the... um, my guests, uh, how are you getting home? 
Um, and they said, actually, we're going by our helicopter. <laughs> so I thought, I wonder, how, uh, no wonder they paid £5,000 to come and have tea with me. But they were just the most delightful, modest family. And, uh, you know, I'm so glad that I did it. Well, also, it sounds like when you're interacting with people, you've got this real affection, which sounds like the same voice you're using when you're writing your recipes and picturing them, you know, looking in their fridge, getting out their pans, all the things. You can sort of almost envisage this person on the other end of your words. Yes, I mean, I was taught very early on not to... I, my first programme, some of my first programmes were with Judy Chalmers. Mm. Uh, um, your mother, Janet, would remember them. And um, I, I did uh, cooking on these programmes. And, uh, and I used to get very tense. And, you know, I took everything in. And in those... I mean, now I have a Lucy to help me. I have Lucinda... Uh, we have home economists, you know, when I'm actually cooking, mm. everything is weighed out for me and I just cook. In those days, I did everything myself. There was no Lucy. And so I would get to the studio um, in Euston, it was then, and I'd walk in and the uh, there would be tables there with the news from the night before pieces of paper mm -hmm. and suddenly the kitchen would be built the clock would be put up on the wall yeah. uh, and the drawers wouldn't open but you know it looked like a fantastic uh, kitchen and then I would start to unpack my stuff and arrange my ingredients and things and it was quite stressful and therefore I was concentrating all the time and uh, looking very serious <laughs> and I never spoke to the crew and um, you know I didn't want anything to go wrong. I wanted it all to be perfect. And Judy said to me, could you smile at the crew? They're here to help you. Uh, and also, if you don't smile when you're actually uh, cooking, there are other channels. And people will be perhaps doing the ironing, just one person. You're not talking to a gang. You're talking to one person. That's what you want to think. And if you're boring and you're not making it fun and interesting, they'll go to the other channel. So I always remember that, yeah. that, uh, you know, to concentrate on one yeah. uh, so that people feel that, oh, she's doing that for me, rather than a huge... I wonder when you sing, do you think uh, I'm singing to everybody there or do you think of that one person that thinks you're wonderful and you've got to please them? I think it is always one person, actually. And the same definitely for radio and anything spoken I think I always picture the other person on the other end yeah um and I think that's there's an intimacy in that but yeah certainly if I'm nervous the most nervous I've ever been the most tense was when I was doing Strictly Come Dancing years ago and I'd always come out on the live show and find you know someone who looked really it would usually be a woman that would look maybe a little bit like my granny in the crowd and I'd be like I'm just dancing for that lady that's it and that would be the thing to relax me. And I think that that idea of having one person in the end, you know, as you say, that woman doing the ironing, yep. looking through the channels, that's really, that's a really great image, isn't it, for yeah. who's on the other end? And you're right, people aren't watching in groups. It's just, it's just actually it's that one than person that. that uh, so you know, I, I, I was taught that, and I keep that in my mind uh, today. So when you said starting TV, was that when your children were all little? Um, I, they were small. Uh, and, of course, um, my girlfriends, none... I mean, I'm talking of, what, in the 60s. Mm. Uh, uh, and so uh, I was working, and we were... We were uh, there was mo not much spare, so we had mother's help, you know, and so they did a bit of everything. So it was a responsibility leaving them. There were, you know, they weren't a Norland nanny. It was... Um, lovely girls who looked after the children. Um, and um, I always felt guilty. You know, I thought, um, you know, I should be at home, everybody else is at home. But on the other hand, I really love what I do. And my husband was right behind me, as he is now. I mean, he still says, uh, you know, I say, would you rather I was at home with you? And he said, you love what you do, go off. I'll have a drink for you when you get home. But uh, it was very um, demanding, I think. And I was always trying to uh, get back in good time. And uh, when I was at home, I was always cooking for uh, meals, to be, good meals to be left for them. Um, and, of course, uh, school holidays. 
uh, were a real problem because I was, uh, you, you know, I never said no to jobs um, because I, I love them and the more things you do, the more interesting it is. Uh, so I did everything and it meant that as soon as I was at home, I would then have other friends of the children's. I'd have them in and I wasn't very good at, at uh, amusing them except with baking. So I would have them and we'd, I'd make maybe pizzas and they'd make a simple pizza dough and then I'd have bowls of all different things and they would put their own toppings on and because they'd done it themselves of the things that they'd like, I mean, they would put things like peas on top because <laughs> every child likes frozen peas, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and then they would eat them for lunch. And um, also I used to do an awful lot of the outdoors when we had uh, children. I mean, now they have forest schools, don't they? Mm. But I would go out and we'd pick different... you have to collect 12 different leaves and then we'd come back and say which tree they came off or uh, who can who can find um, a certain thing, you know, blackberries and things. Or, uh, um, and I would take them, getting things from the hedgerows and then come home and cook with them. Um, but it was a stressful time and very, very difficult. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. And when you so when you first became mum, so this would have been late sixties. What was yeah. what was the expectation for mothers at that point if they were working? It was very difficult, and I was uh, on a magazine, and um, when I uh, I was had uh, Thomas, our first son, and I was in the office in Hoburn at eleven o'clock, and I thought I feel a bit strange. I think I should, I think that baby's coming. Oh, you work all the and way up so to the I rang my husband, and of course he was in the office, and he said, "Well, I'll come and see you at you know I finish at five. and this is absolutely true. And so uh, I rang uh, a great friend who uh, Shirley Nightingale, who's uh, I still know to this day, and her husband was a pilot and a neighbour, and he came and took me into hospital. Because, you know, Paul wasn't quite sure whether he, he could take the time off. I mean, it, it's absolutely true. And he, sure enough, ten past five, he came. And I still hadn't had Thomas. He was there when uh, Thomas came. And uh, um, it, times were different. And so with, with, with Thomas, did you... It's, I think I remember reading that you didn't really have maternity leave for very much time at all. No. I mean, if you were in a job... Uh, and, you know, I was staff and paid. Um, there wasn't much maternity leave. And also, you, you weren't really expected to come back. You, you were uh, a mother. Mm. And so I was back in something like six weeks uh, back in the job, which was absolutely, absolutely fine, and I got help. But, you know, you're pretty tired. But it, uh, and I was still doing proofs uh, in my hospital bed because, you know... <laughs> Uh, that's how it is. And also it passed the time and it's something I know. Mm -hmm. um, but I was very nervous of not going back and not... Uh, I loved what I did and I, unfortunately I was paid for it. And um, things are different. And now I think everybody is very fortunate that... I'm not quite sure of the rules, but I think you could have a year to decide whether you're coming back or not, which is... It's it's wonderful, but for the little um, the little shops or small uh, employees employers, that's quite difficult to leave a job empty for, and have somebody else, and then say, well, you've got to go because so and so is coming back to her job. But that's how it is, and I think Absolutely. we're and much yeah. luckier. We are much luckier, but yeah, there's still I think there'll be they know different areas have different regulations and rules, and I think also. With what you're talking about, with opportunities in 
specifically something you loved so much, I think it's not that unusual to have that fear of, of being replaced, really, and losing your job. And this is an amazing opportunity, but also something you cared about and you could tell you were good at. So you've got to seize all that. But I think, am I right? So you had three children within four years. That's that's a... that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know all about that. And it, it was lovely. And uh, it was nice to have them. And anyway, I was quite old because I didn't get married till I was 31. Um, so we had to get on with it. And, it, <laughs> uh, and we were... We were very fortunate and all the children people don't believe it but they all slept really they all slept so uh, which is that's uh, a big uh, advantage uh, they all you used to they had a very active life because uh, and quite a sporty life even from very little and so they were tired but they, about seven o'clock they were down and you know it was seven the next morning mm -hmm. and I realised how lucky I was and you've, I've read you sometimes where you've been quite hard on yourself saying that you think you weren't, you know, you felt guilty, but also that Absolutely. you... Absolutely. Yeah. Very. I felt guilty because, um, you know, all my, my girlfriends were not working. There's some help with charities, but on the whole, in the 60s and early 70s, a lot of people didn't, you know, that was your, your job, was mm. to bring up your children. Um, but mine haven't suffered too much of uh, Annabelle did say when she was a stroppy 17-year-old, uh, or maybe she was 16, I'm, I'm never going to, to work with my children. Uh, I don't remember you reading to me. And, of course, because of my guilt, I, both my husband and I read every night to the children mm. uh, and spent a lot of time with them. Uh, and my husband did, you know, school runs and things. Uh, and strangely enough, Annabelle has since said, Mum, I was very horrid to say to you that uh, I do remember being read to, and uh, uh, she's working herself. Well, doesn't she work with you? She does work with me. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Which um, is a lovely you know, we have a, thing. We're very lucky. We have a very good relationship. But there have been moments when people say, aren't you lucky to have uh, a daughter nearby that's so uh, lovely? Um, I said, yes, but you try living with her when she was 16, 17. <laughs> uh, it wasn't so easy. Well, I think as well, it's, I think with kids, you're very good at working out what gets a good reaction from your parents. And I know that even my own mum, because on Blue Peter, they used to do loads of things where they'd make things. Yes. And then people would say to me, did your mum make things with you? And I'd say... No, and then my mum said to me, you have to stop saying that because it sounds really bad. It sounds like I just did it on TV, but not in real life. Um, but I think when you feel like you're, you know, it's very easy to feel like that with your parents, isn't it? And then if they get, if, you know, if you get a response, then, oh, that's a good, I'll bring that up again. That really worked. <laughs> but, I mean, as time went by, I'm really glad that I did continue working because I have a, um, a wonderful relationship with Lucy after all those years, you know, I can hardly... If I, if I go and get a, a, a dish, a, a dress from Zara, I'm home. Well, wait, wait and see what Lucy thinks of it. I mean, it, it is a relationship that um, is very important to me. Mm. And also, uh, Lucy and Lucinda, who does our, our testing, you know, I mean, Lucinda arrives with a, a donut for my husband. The last thing he should be having is a donut. <laughs> um, and she hasn't asked me or anything, but you know, that's what I do when I'm passing the donut shop. I give one to Paul. And, you know, the girls all spoil my husband, and he, he knows it, isn't he? Yeah. But also, I think with parenting, it's, it's a long game, isn't it? So we, we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be really good at that early years bit. But as you say, your children are fine, you know you have a good relationship with them, so you can sort of let it play out. And what's it like watching your children become parents and having grandbabies? I'm absolutely amazed what uh, uh, Thomas and um, Sarah, uh, that's my big son, uh, and Annabel and Dan, I spend an enormous amount of time with their children. They listen to them, they do things with them, I mean, during the uh, pandemic, Annabelle uh, took... It's, first of all, she, she's very keen on tennis herself, and she took all three children onto the court and uh, played tennis. It was shambles. So every afternoon, uh, she would take 
one after another, half an hour each, um, to fill in the time. Because mm. when they're all at home doing homeschooling, um, they did very well, all of them. And that, I, you know, I didn't have that, uh, have all of them at home. I mean, it, it was so hard for everybody, wasn't it? Yes, very intense. Uh, and particularly when you didn't have a garden or couldn't get out to space. Um, I really, I think my hat goes to mothers who um, managed to get through that with children because it must have been ghastly to be mm. cooped up somewhere where you have no outdoor space. Well, you've talked about outdoor space quite a lot. Is that something that was in your childhood a lot, being outdoors? Oh, yeah. In my own childhood, we, you know, the door was open on school holidays and uh, you just went out. And, uh, you know, even when you were about eight, we would walk to a park or, and, you know, just came home for mealtimes or we took picnics. Mm. But, of course, it was safer then or nobody ever... And also, in my childhood, I've remembered that the front door was never locked oh. or the back door. No, I mean, it just wasn't something you did. And That's now, amazing, isn't it? You know, we are like... Four, most of us are like Fort Knox, you know. <laughs> are the windows shut, are the whatever just because it's a different world. Yeah, it's true. But I did wonder as well if... I mean, because your childhood, you would have grown up through the, the Second World War, and I wondered what it's like to have a childhood that has that sort of very serious backdrop. Is that something you're aware of? Do you think there's a kind of, like, a takeaway from that of your generation, something that you all share because that was... What you grew up um, with? We were in the war. My, I can remember my mother saying um, that rationing... It was a very small amount of butter and uh, bacon and meat. Offal was not on coupons. Um, and she was very uh, frugal. And I can remember her saying, um, if you don't take sugar in your tea and coffee, and everybody took, very few people drank coffee in the war. They drank tea and everybody drank sugar, had took sugar in it. And if you, if you give up sugar and tea, there will be the odd pudding and cake. Um, and that's what uh, I can remember so well, because mum would make um, bread and butter pudding or something with a bit of sugar in, uh, and um, she was very wise. And in those days, it was always... Uh, my, my father served first, uh, and then the children, and then my mother. And my mother became quite slight, because, you know, you held back, because there wasn't that much available. Mm. Yeah, it's a really defining... We forget thing. that. Yeah, I know, I know. And I think, you know, we're the, the kids now are the furthest away generation, aren't they, in the UK from, from something like that. You know, we've, we haven't had to have conflict on our doorstep like that. And, you know, children's parties were literally, you went uh, to other people's houses or a village hall, that was it. And there were no theme parks, there were no... Uh, there, was, there were no luxuries, there were no... Uh, I, you couldn't go to outside uh, um, farms and things, mm. uh, um, wildlife places. Everything was uh, closed and you were at home. Yeah, that's very true. And I think even without that aspect, you also now, like when you were talking about wilderness and you see people dressing up and with their kids, the generation gap is much smaller, isn't it, in terms Absolutely. of how, how parents are with their kids. I mean, you see parents being silly and dressing up and doing fun things, but I don't Everything think that was... Everything is much more uh, relaxed uh, than it was. Mm. Um, but, you know, there was lots of lots of fun. Yeah. And everybody had a, a dressing up box of, a, you know, granny's old things. And, uh, you know, we had great playtime, but it was all at home and created uh, at home. Yes, and so when you were talking about, you know, baking at home, have you always had as much love for cakes and baking? As you, has it been a very consistent um, thing? Not, not really. Um, I've, I've always enjoyed cooking, and it doesn't worry me because I understand the science of it. Mm. Um, it um, but I, I don't like baking more than... I, I, I really like cooking for friends and family, mm. and I love to hear what they say. Know, oh, that was delicious. How did you do that? And then uh, <laughs> I'll uh, give them the recipe. I always share my recipes because I don't understand anyone who said, Well, I, I'm not going to give you the recipe. Uh, you know, it's, life is all about sharing. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, in my book, 
um, I'm all the time trying to be up to date. I mean, now if we go out to a, uh, a pub, very often there are sharing platters. That's fun to do at home. Mm. And uh, if you're not a great cook, you can use uh, things that are from the deli counter to spin out the things you've made yourself. Um, uh, I think sharing is what it's all about. I agree with you. And also, all the best teachers are very generous with their knowledge. That's, that's a consistent, Absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely. Whatever subject it is. Yeah, whatever subject it is. Um, yesterday, Mary, I was listening to... I was re-listening to your Desert Island Discs, which I know you recorded a really long time ago. But I have to say, it moved me to tears on so many occasions. And I know when I walked in, there's that beautiful picture of your three children. And I'm just so sorry about what happened with William. I can't... You've basically had to live through every parent's worst nightmare of losing a child. Yes. Uh, to lose a child... Well, William was um, 19, and uh, he had borrowed the car with our permission, uh, and he took his sister out. He was quite a careful child, and uh, he just drove too fast and uh, was killed. It was immensely traumatic for his sister, and it was such a relief to us that she was saved. And uh, yeah, I mean, I remember the day, it was a Saturday, and I thought, well, why isn't Will back um, for lunch? And then there was a knock at the door, and a, and a policeman came in, and, I, and you instantly know what's happened. Mm. And I felt so sorry for the policeman because he was, you know, looking at me and he knew he had to say that William had been killed. And I said, but what about Annabelle? And he said, she's all right. So we went straight to Wickham Hospital, High Wickham Hospital. And um, uh, we were given a cup of tea. And then coming down those long corridors in the hospital was Annabelle in a pink tracksuit that was muddy, running very fast. And I thought... I've still got her. And uh, you immediately turn, at least we did. We had a, a family, a, a very great friend, uh, Sheila Ingalls, living opposite us when we were in Pan, and that she has only one child. And I thought, well, we have two others. And um, I think we were, in a way, I mean, you have to take what's thrown, the card that's thrown at you. And although it is immensely sad... You know, I often think, now, if William had was a couple of years older or three years older and he had a wife and a child, now, that wife could go marry somebody else and move that child away from us. You know, there are so many positive things that you can actually think, well, one was fortunate. And also, we went to see William in the hospital and, you know, to see a child calm and cold... And, and happy, you know, you realise it's gone to a better place. But um, I get a lot of people from my life uh, storybook, uh, autobiography, mm. people say, I get phone calls, I get letters, you know, what am I going to do? I've lost my child. Uh, so often in um, motorbike accidents or something about that age. And uh, she said, am I going to get over it? And um, I will say... You will, you you don't want to get over it. You want to, to live with it, and um, which does happen. But I mean, if William walked through that door now, I'd say, "Where the hell have you been?" <laughs> and I would expect him to walk, age nineteen. But of course, he wouldn't be. It's thirty years ago, and he was a very special child. Well, isn't every child special? Mm. Uh, well, it's thirty thirty. One years, I think, and next week or the week after, his best friend from school is coming with his with a, Anna uh, Bells, his wife, to have lunch with us, and they still visit William uh, and think of him, and you know it's lovely to think that people remember him, yeah, as well as we do. Yeah, I think I, I mean, if I've ever, whenever you hear any story about a child. Uh, you it's, put yourself yeah. in that story, don't you? And it becomes your child. And I think, I, I always think I'd want my, their name to be spoken because they were here and Absolutely. they existed. And in those days, there wasn't a child bereavement trust. 
there are, there are other charities too, so I was... Mm. Um, we had a very... patron of, isn't it? He's so, still patron of the job. Uh, yes, I am. Yeah. And um, this is... A, it's an amazing charity because mm. they have trained counsellors who uh, support the family uh, when the child is lost. And they do special sort of Saturdays in different regions where a child can come meet other children who've lost their mother, their father, their brother, their sister, and chat. Mm. Uh, and um, particularly sometimes it's the husband who is brokenhearted. He comes back and he meets other men who've lost their children. Um, it's, very ne- it's very needed. Yeah. Um, but it, in some families, we, we were very lucky because I had a wonderful friends and um, who would talk about William who would think of nice things to do. In a, you know, six months after he died, friend, I had a, a great friend, Claire, who, uh, William was on the 21st of January, uh, sort of uh, two weeks later, she said, I, uh, I'm going to Chelsea Flower Show and I've got a ticket for you. And so I had that to look forward to, thinking, I don't want to go to a... You know, you start off by thinking, do I want to go to Chelsea? No, I don't. I don't want to do anything. I want to stay at home. But, you know, gradually you realise life has to go on. And it does have to go on. And um, it, it's not the same, but it's, uh, it's different. Well, I'm, I think it's... Thank you so much for talking to me about it, because I think I do agree with you that speaking about things and having the conversations is really important. And I think we still have, you know, lots to learn about how to deal with people's grief. And but everybody is different, Sophie. That's true. We had... Um, uh, I rented a chalet years ago for friends um, skiing and um, my flatmate at the time, uh, Jilly, was coming over by plane to join us and it crashed in uh, Austria and she didn't arrive and she was killed. We immediately we went back to England. We went to Bristol to see her parents. They didn't want to see us. And uh, we were in the doorway, and in the hall normally were pictures of Jilly, and they'd taken all the pictures down, they didn't want to discuss it, and um, they were just nice to us. And I uh, I went with Penny, and, uh, you know, the door was shut. And that's how they wished it to be, Mm. that the subject isn't open anymore. So you can't have rules. No, that's true. You've got to just... uh, Every person is different. But I would say that if if you know someone who's had, you know, a, a tragedy, losing a husband, losing a wife, losing a child, if you're shopping and that person is the other side of the road, take courage, walk across to them and say something nice about their, um, whoever has lost, whoever has gone. It takes courage. And don't look the other way and walk, pretend you haven't seen them because it's the least you can do. Yeah. But just think up something nice or a happy memory of it. Yeah. Perhaps do something a little bit later to see them. And I think think you're right. I think that thing about taking the courage and and going to see them is really, really important. And how how did you... How do you mother through that? Because I know that you were working at the same time through that very intense period of grief and you've got your children. So how... What's a good way to approach that, do you think? Is that, I suppose that's something that the I think it's, it's talking with. about it. And also, uh, um, I mean, it's, it's years ago, but I mean, if we have Christmas, we always give a drink to William and um, our grandchildren. Uh, uh, little Hobie was, well, he's not so little now, but he was making rugger and he said um, uh, he, he wanted to be the position that his uncle was, uh, would it be his uncle, um, uh, was um, in rugby because he's the same build. Uh, you know, they talk about it and uh, they're proud of him. And I suppose uh, with families where you can see little trickle series of characteristics yes. and things, can't you, in the next generation, which can be really And also, I, th- I think, but again, some people, everybody has a different way of approaching a situation. There isn't a rule. But you do seem to be a very positive person. That's a real through thread of, of everything I've seen from you is that you talk a lot about feeling very lucky and feeling very fortunate and, and seeing the positive. And I think that's a really, 
very special quality. It's a lovely thing. It's very, very comforting. <laughs> well, I go back, as you know, I broke my hip a year ago and I honestly was at the end of my tether then because I thought, I can't believe it, that you fall over. And I know forever telling people, look where you're going, don't fall if you're old. Um, you know, always take a rail and blow me if I don't topple over in the garden and break my hip. And um, it was... I've never felt so awful. And, um, you know, you feel very lucky that, you know, the National Health were absolutely amazing and did everything. But even so, you feel so ghastly. Mm. And uh, I thought, I'm never going to get... I, I'm never going to get better. Here I am, just hobbling along. Um, uh, I was quite down in myself. Yeah, I think illness, well, recovery can also make you feel very blue, can't it? Uh, yes. Anyway, of course, um, we had a, a wonderful GP. Yes. And uh, she said, it's going to take 18 months. I thought, it's not going to take 18 months. Uh, and, of course, I then realised that, it, it, you know, when you're old, it doesn't heal as quickly as uh, when you have a... You know, when I see one of the children, has, grandchildren has a rugger injury and it's gone you know, <laughs> uh, in, in a couple of weeks. But it does take time and you have to be patient and do as you're told. Yes, you do have lots to do yeah. Lots of exercise, you know, sort of... Um, physio and things. Uh, physio and things, but anyway... But you I'm have managed to come I'm, back with a I'm new cookbook right. and new TV right. <laughs> No, but that's, again, you see, I have amazing support from uh, Lucy and Lucinda... You know, I kept saying, oh, I, I'm never going to, you know, whatever. And they would say, take long strides, you know, hold on to the side and, you know, they encourage you to uh, keep going. And, no, you are better. You're much better. But sit up straight. <laughs> but it sounds like you've got this real lovely team, like a family around you of people you work with. Yes. And everybody's been long-term as well, which is really lovely. Yes. Well, I said Lucy's 32 years. And Lucinda, you know, came straight from Prudleaf. And uh, was uh, came, you know, drove from London down to us, which was a, a good forty-minute drive. So shy, and um, and now she's full of confidence, got two children, and a wonderful mother. Oh. And she's here today with her lovely dog. Ah, so one of the dogs is hers. Yeah, that woolly one, the black one. Ah, and, yes. Uh, um, <laughs> because she. Uh, well, that, she couldn't get a babysitter for him. <laughs> no, it's nice. It's nice to have such a friendly canine welcome. Oh. I've had lots of cuddles with the dogs already. I'm sure it's not hygienic, but <laughs> there are three jog dogs about here, so um, we love them. Well, I, I wanted to sort of close on just, is there anything you're looking forward to doing? Like, what's, what's next for you? Because I get the feeling, I mean, your mother lived, is it 105, is that right, your mum? That's right. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, it, I mean, again so fortunate that she was uh, really well mm, yeah. uh, and had no major um, illness uh, and she was just lonely and I think everybody should remember that on the whole people who live to a great age when the people around them have died, they are lonely and it's uh, very nice to uh, uh, go and see them and mm. We have a lovely housekeeper here looking after us because I'm away quite a bit. And, uh, you know, she's... Uh, Alison was saying to me yesterday, I dogs, she sometimes takes our dogs out, and she said, I met a lady with a dog who lives in the old people's uh, homes just behind us. And uh, they got chatting. She said, I'm very, very lonely, you know, when there's only one. And Alison said, well, come around for tea. And I thought, you know, if you've just a little bit of something... Uh, uh, there's nothing like talking to people um, because, uh, you know, and also young mothers can be terribly lonely mm. before their children go to school uh, or play group. They're all on their own uh, with a child and um, befriend them. Yeah, no, you're right, because it can be very isolating, those periods of life, can't they? You haven't had time to be isolated. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely felt it with my first. I did. I didn't have any girlfriends with babies, and I... I hadn't gone to NCT or any of those things, so I didn't really know anyone with a baby. And I'd, I, I waited nearly five years before I had a second one, so that bit was a lot of time 
just me and a toddler You've made and up playing with blocks. <laughs> I've yeah, filled the house. Yeah. Now I crave a bit of peace and quiet. I was very jealous when I turned up and saw your beautiful jigsaw puzzle on the table because I love doing jigsaw puzzles. But um, in the summer holidays, we went away and I started doing a jigsaw and it was my project. And then my three-year-old pulled it, part of it off the table and I actually cried. <laughs> cry for what it represented so that was my thing that was my my puzzle <laughs> well you're very liable here to have a dog that jumps up on your knee while you're doing it and then ah. bits go on the floor and then they go in the garden <laughs> as you pass there are two bits uh, i know i know i'm gonna have a go <laughs> well um just to finish i was thinking on the way here that um i know obviously through the bake-off you're so synonymous with cakes and lovely things to eat. And I know you make other things, but your name could not be more perfect to someone that is known for cakes. And I wondered how life different could have been different if you were like Mary Potato or something. But Mary Berry is just so perfect. <laughs> I think I'd rather be a, a, a berry than a potato. Mind you, a, a baked potato split in half with loads of butter or creme fraiche, sour cream, delicious. <laughs> I'm with you on that. How lovely was that conversation? Honestly, I had just the best time talking to her. As I say, she's she's magical, actually, Mary. Came away a little bit besotted with her. And she very kindly gave me a copy of her cookbook, her latest cookbook of her 60 cookbooks, Cook and Share. And then we've done two recipes. I did the salted caramel cake. And listen, I am no baker, but it came out really beautifully. I would actually go so far as to say it's the best sponge I've ever made. And... She also had in there a recipe for vegetarian pad thai, which we had. Do you remember that one, May? Nope. Oh, well, it was good. <laughs> it was good and easy and fun. So I think that I would heartily recommend her cookbook. It was really lovely. But mainly, it was just a complete joy to speak to her. She told me after we finished recording, she's only done three podcasts. I think she's spoken to Fern Cotton, she's spoken to Sue Perkins, and now me. So I feel very, very fortunate that she was so generous with her time. And it was just a lovely, lovely, lovely conversation. And a lot of it's really stayed with me, which is what all the best chats do. Anyway, editor Richard is... Oh, gosh, sorry. There's all sorts of noise. Yes, definitely put it in the bin. We can't be no little outs. Ray and I are still sitting on the bench. Ray's quite enjoying having a bit of independence these days. We came out by himself to get himself an iced tea and some Pringles from the shop. And then we joined each other on a park bench to sit. I know, you did ask me, which is nice, Ray. There you are, go and put it in the bin. It's not that cold, you've got a t-shirt on. I know, t-shirts in October, craziness. Anyway, thank you so much for joining me to have a listen to this gorgeous chat. And who have I got for you next week? Oh, next week we've got Dawn O'Porter, uh, who's just got a new book coming out, Cat Lady. So yes, my chat with Dawn is next week and I'm expecting that will be popular because whenever I've said... Who would you like me to chat to? Dawn O'Porter's name comes up a lot. And she is completely fab and I, I love her very much. So that was a nice chat too. But um, for now, thank you so much. Thanks to uh, Mary for talking to me. Thank you to Lucy for helping set it up. Thank you to Claire for beautifully producing the episodes every time. Thank you to Ella May for the gorgeous work, artwork every week. Thank you to Richard for editing and his uh, tolerance of my inappropriate locations for recording these bits with you. And, of course, mostly thank you to you. Because without you, it would be a, a talk in the dark. So thank you very much. Have a lovely week. See you soon. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.